All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. We'll check I'm hitting record this year. Good plan. Because <laughs> I do remember there was a little misstep. Yeah, you know, we had, we had such a good interview and... You know, it happens, right? You're in the industry. You know things. Exactly. So, hold on one second. Yep. Uh, Thank you. All right. I'm good. All right, so Toby Wright, welcome back to the KISS FAQ podcast at the National Rockin' Pod Expo. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's nice to be here. I hope you're not mentally fried from all the tables you've been going around. Uh, Uh, That says it all. All right, there we go. It's all out now. So since you're in a good place, in a good mental state, we're going to... You know, talk a little bit about Carnival of Souls. Nuh-uh, really? Really. Sweet. I was going to answer, I was just going to tell you that, you know, you get to answer or ask any question, but about that record. Oh, no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's one of those records that really flies under the radar. Yep. And what I like to do on our podcast and in the books that I've written is address some of these albums that haven't necessarily hit the mark in terms of what the band and or producer were aiming for. And I think Carnival of Souls is a great example of circumstances that overtook an album. True that. I agree. Would you agree with that? Because, oh, yeah. Because um, I've always been curious to ask you, at what point during the recording or mixing or mastering did you find out about the reunion? About halfway through recording. And what kind we of We were in the guitar overdub, if I remember correctly. Did that change the outlook of the band or their approach towards it? I mean, Bruce is a... Uh, you know, a guy, a guy who gives 110% to whatever he does. Right. But did, it, did it affect the dynamic of how the band were working on that album at the time? No. No, definitely not. Because, I mean, I think it deflated a little bit of, of what was going on in the room at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Gene came back, I remember precisely when he came back into the room and, you know, said, uh, you guys stop for a minute. And then he made a little announcement and everybody went from, Oh, boy, to, oh, boy. Oh, right. Oh, now what do we do? We took a little break, and we then, um, you know, resumed. Because we're all adults, and we said, okay, what do we do now? Do we want to finish this, or do we want to shit-can it? And, you know, Gene said, hey, we want to finish this record. You know, he goes, I don't know if it'll ever come out, but we're going to finish it. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. And so... We all conjured up our best and, right. and kept going with the with the plan in progress. Now, one of the comments that I've seen you make about the album in uh, legendary rock interviews is uh, is the, one of the albums that you really felt should have done better than it did. Did all of that affect things like the mixing and the overdubs? Because one of the things that a lot of fans have said is they approach li- how they listen to the sound of that album and have always wondered whether the reunion being announced affected how it was finished up. I'd have to say no, Um, that I think that, you know, they hired me to to do a quote-unquote grunge record, right? right? Because that's what Gene was into at that moment in time. 
And so I was, you know, kind of quote unquote hot in the in the grunge era right. at the moment. And so Bob Ezrin had, you know, said, "Hey, man, you know, to Gene, he had recommended me to Gene." And so when I had an interview with the band, you know, they asked me about all that kind of stuff. And you know, I was like, "Yeah, let's just make a record," you know. And so, you know, Gene and Paul were like, "Your guitar tones are great. This is great. Blah 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 blah." You know, how do we go about this? And I was like, "Okay, let's go in the. You know, let's start with songs, because we want some kick-ass songs. Right. Period." And so, they had had a few songs, and I remember we had to go into pre-production and that kind of stuff for a little while, and you know, just kind of write some more songs for the record. When the news came down that, you know, they were, Gene was taking the contract to to do the reunion tour, then yeah, of course everybody's ego and you know not the ego but just their their sense of this record just went a little deflated, right? Right. And so I think that you know if they had gone on to release the record as scheduled and push back the tour a little bit, that they both would have had glory. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think that, it, you know, when they shelved the record because of the tour, that it it, it kind of hampered its its sales and its ability to be one of the top Kiss records that there could have been, right. I think. You know, Carnival of Souls is kind of considered more of a Gene album than a Paul album, whereas Crazy Nights was more of a Paul album than a Gene album. Okay. W- would you feel that's fair to say that Gene was more in the driving seat in terms of the direction of the band in 1995? 95, yeah. 95 that you were recording it. Yes. Yeah, because I was involved in Crazy Nights, as you know, yep. and and I know that was more of a, of a, of a Paul-driven record. Um <laughs> You know, and, and I remember being in the room with Ron, Ron Nevison at the time, and you know, just all the conversations that that went down in that room, and you know, it's it's really interesting to think back on all that stuff, and and I think that you know that as Kiss's uh, career, you know, went from record to record to record to record, I think certain members were driving each one of them. Right. You know what I mean? And in the beginning, I'm sure it was both of them. You know almost holding hands going, yay, let's do this together. And then as they, you know, got older and had more success and kept going and kept going, that, you know, one one guy would go, hey, man, you know, I want to really put this song on the record. And one wouldn't feel that that song as much as the other would. And so he would take the lead. And they, you know, their relationship was such that, you know, they they allowed each other to do that. A natural ebb and flow of supporting each other and keeping the band moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Instead of, you know, putting a foot down and saying, no, this is my record this right. time, and you can't do that on it. Yeah. You know, they, they're they're smart businessmen, both of them. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, I find it interesting you mentioned that you, you were brought into it to make a grunge album, and right. you kind of frame it as such. But was that the parameters that were described? Because Alice in Chains really hadn't quite started taking taking off at that point for you, because I think you did Jar of Flies with them. That was your first album? Correct. And that is 94. Right. Um, and, of course, they'd broken out in 92. So did Gene say, I want to be Alice in Chains or Smashing Pumpkins? You know. There it is. He <laughs> he and I got into a quote-unquote conversation, um, and he told me that he wanted to be Billy Corrigan. I said, are you kidding me? You want to be the what? <laughs> I said, you're a legend. You're Gene Simmons. You are Gene Simmons. This is Kiss. 
this, you are amazing. What are you talking about? You want to be this little guy from Chicago? And not that Billy Corgan is any less of an icon these days than Gene, but at the time, the Smashing Pumpkins were just coming up, you know, and they were selling lots and lots and lots of records. So it, it out of that discussion came, oh, you just you want to sell a lot of records like Billy Corrigan. Right. Okay, well, that's a little different than I want to be Billy Corrigan. Right. Okay, so let's let's frame that as such and not say that I want to be Billy Corrigan, but I want to sell records again like Billy is doing now. Right. All right, and then, okay, we, we, we agree on that. So that little backwards <laughs> intro to hate, whose idea was that to throw in? Oh, his? Yeah. Gene's. That oh, yeah. Gene. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, hate, I think hate is a great song. Oh, you know, a natural progression from Unholy, which had been the lead-off single right. to uh, the previous album. Um, Bruce, it's impossible to talk about Carnival of Souls, especially in 15 minutes, without talking about Bruce Kulik. Amen. <laughs> how, how much of this album is a, in a Bruce album? He had co-writes on nearly every song on the album. His yep. guitars are absolutely incredible throughout. He's recently shared some photos of his guitar and amp settings uh, from like, stuff like I Walk Alone and Hate. Right. Um, you know, how, he sang on that record. And he sang. I mean, yep. let's go to I Walk Alone. How did that come about that he ended up singing and making his debut lead vocal? Oh, I don't remember the exact steps. Oh, uh, well, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult. But I think that since he had written that song, I think it was with a man named Kurt Cuomo. Yep. Um, that he had the best take on it. And he had laid down scratch vocals. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, Paul felt at that point that he was feeling the song as much as Bruce was. Right. Um, could be the case, could not be the case. I don't really remember, but I do remember that you know a big discussion about it. You know, because hey, you're the lead singer of the band. Why don't you get up there and sing? And you know, mm-hmm. well, how does it go again? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And Bruce went in and laid down some vocals, and he's like, "Why don't you just sing it? That sounded great." Right. So you know, as far as that record goes, I think a good 80 percent, 75 to 80 percent would would go to Bruce on that one. Right. You know, because he was a catalyst. Pretty much to the whole thing. He has had that sucker in his heart. Now, one of the things also suggested for Bruce is he plays quite a bit of bass on the album. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you can either confirm or deny. I'll uh, confide. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other big things is obviously this album was shelved. Yes. And then it sat around and it got leaked very rapidly. Um, <laughs> yep. And I remember I was living in Scotland at the time, paying big dollars because it was out there. It was in pretty darn good quality. Obviously, that damaged it commercially when it was eventually released. What do you think about the overall leak of that? Do you think it was really someone inside the band who pretty much let it out in frustration? I think you're actually on record as saying that. Do you, do you still believe that? To I, be do. The case? I do. Um, you know, I do. You know, I obviously can't prove anything. But, you know, to be the biggest bootleg record in the world after such a weird turn of events, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but at the same time, I look at fact yeah, and, reality. and reality. And I think that, you know, it possibly was somebody in the band and possibly not. Maybe it was one of their friends. I, mean, I, I, I don't know who did it, because if I did, 
I'd bring it to light. Right. But I have no friggin' idea. But I just haven't. I have an idea that it was somebody close because the, I've heard the bootleg recordings. Yep. They're pretty identical to what was released. Right. So somebody had to have their little pause on Someone something had somewhere. Someone access to master qualities. Yeah, and it wasn't some guy in China on the street either. No, fortunately. <laughs> but do you think uh, had it not leaked, and I don't really like doing what is, but in this case I will, do you think it would have been received any differently when it was finally released in October 1997? You know, it, they promoted it a little bit. They you know, put Jungle out, which did very well on rock radio. Master yep. and Slave also did very well. Yep. But do you think had it not been leaked, it, it, it could have maybe made them think twice about what they were doing with the reunion, uh, especially at a time when the reunion was kind of like uh, not as strong as had been hoped? My personal feeling and I have my heart attached to it is because, you know, I think if they had gone ahead and done a Carnival of Souls tour mm -hmm. with that band and kicked ass on that record for a year that they or, or more, that they still could have come back, done the makeup stuff, and yep. then gone on to have all that that they, that they had. I don't think, my personal opinion is I don't think it was a wise decision. And because you're right in the middle of a beautiful record that you're really trying to be creative and writing some great songs with. And so what are you going to do, you know, when... I, I understand the, the, the business decision, but on the, on, the same, on the same page, I also understand what you put aside to do that. And then when it got leaked, accidentally, whatever, then that kind of like, you know, just tells a bit of the story. All right, Toby, right. We got music going on in the background. Let's wrap it up there. All right. Yep, it's crazy. You. Yep. Thank you again for your time on the Kiss FAQ podcast. You take care. My pleasure. Thank you very much. I'll be back soon. Thanks so much. You bet. Nightmare. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.